0: Hello, and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century, and most notably, throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 41 A Dark and Stormy Night. This episode, we find ourselves in 1824 London, at 11 New Cavendish Street, no less. There was a young married couple living there. The gentleman was William Collins, a well-known landscape painter and member of the prestigious, privately funded and independent Royal Academy of Arts. His wife was Harriet Geddes, and they had their first son, a boy they also named William. As I've said in previous podcasts, despite their amazing abilities in so many ways, the Victorians really weren't interested in different names. Big shout out to all the Georges and Charlottes listening. William had a good friend in Sir David Wilkie, who was also a painter, and a pretty good one at that. He was one of the principal painters used by King William IV, and then Her Majesty Queen Victoria. And Sir David must have been quite the friend, because William Collins had Sir David stand in as godfather to his son, and even gave his son the full name of William Wilkie Collins. Throughout his life, the son would be known as Wilkie Collins. And it's his birth that we're attending at 11 New Cavendish Street on the 8th of January in 1824. He was fortunate that in as a young boy his parents moved to live in Italy and France for a couple of years, between when he was about 12 and 14, and it was here that he began learning Italian and also French. Upon their return to the United Kingdom, Wilkie attended boarding school in Highbury, an area of London. And, sadly, and almost like the narrative trope, Wilkie was badly bullied at boarding school. Now, this story comes from Wilkie himself, so I'm sure it's true, to some degree. Reportedly, the bully made Wilkie tell him a story every night before allowing him to go to sleep. To quote Wilkie himself, It was this brute who first awakened in me, his poor little victim, a power of which for him I might never have been aware. End quote. The storytelling was something that even after leaving Highbury, Wilkie said he continued, but for now, his own pleasure. Wilkie started writing and his first story, The Last Stage Coachman, appeared in Illuminated magazine in 1843. While his father was a man of painting and art, William Sr. had expected his oldest son to become a clergyman, but Wilkie really wasn't interested in that. As an artist, William Sr. must have known just how erratic an income could be for someone trying to make money by their passion. He seems to have been focused on ensuring that Wilkie had some form of reliable income. With the clergy now no longer an option, Wilkie went on to study law although he spent most of his time with his friends writing a second novel called Antonina. But his first published work was a memoir of his famous artist father. William Collins had sadly died in 1847, and Wilkie's book about his father was published in 1848. Wilkie actually had the novel Antonina published in 1850, and he passed his legal exams in 1851, So, at this point, he is succeeding all over the place. He never actually formally practiced law, but given that he was now clearly interested in writing novels, it will come as no surprise to you, dear listener, that he took that legal knowledge and he used it in his novels. And then came a meeting that was going to change his life. Augustus Egg, that's his real name, was a painter and a man who knew people within the artistic community. He was also an acquaintance of Wilkie Collins, and he introduced Wilkie to another acquaintance of his, one named Charles Dickens. And from this time on, the two men would be lifelong friends and would also even perform on stage together. A few months after meeting, the men appeared in the play, Not As Bad As We Seem. Now, I am sure none of us have any real interest in that play or what it was about, but as trivia, and I'm on record for loving my trivia, the play was written by Edward Bullier Lytton, also known as the first Baron Lytton. I'd never heard of him before, but I'm thinking I might need to revisit him at some point because he was a parliamentarian who chose the founder of British Columbia and even declined the crown of Greece after King Otto abdicated. And he was crazy good with words. It was a dark and stormy night was one of his opening phrases. And if you haven't heard of that one, well, another phrase that the first Baron Lytton created, I'm sure you've heard of this one, the pen is mightier than the sword. So having literary skills like that, when Bulwer-Lytton wrote a play, you knew that everyone was going to want to see it. And while on stage, Wilkie Collins and Charles Dickens were acting, among those people in the audience were Her Majesty Queen Victoria and her husband Prince Albert. And clearly these two men enjoyed working together, because Wilkie contributed to Dickens' weekly magazine of stories, Wilkie then joined Dickens' roaming band of amateur actors in performing the aforementioned play Around the Countryside. Okay, so I haven't covered Dickens as yet, and that is taking a lot of reading and note-taking, but I had no idea that he had a roaming band of actors and a travelling theatre. The things you learn! That was in 1852, and it was in the following year that Wilkie experienced a severe bout of gout, a health issue that would plague him for the rest of his life. He spent time recuperating with Dickens and toured Europe with Dickens and Augustus Egg, and clearly disagreed with Wilkie and his creative spark, because his writing increased in both volume and variety. Wilkie wrote short stories, essays, and even a travel book. Additionally, he turned his hand at playwriting, and his first play, called The Lighthouse, was actually performed by Dickens Theatre Group. Over the next few years, Wilkie had more and more of his work serialised in various magazines. This sounds odd to us today, given we're all about digital media, but this was an excellent way to have an ongoing income as a writer in Victoria, England. Having a story that could be broken up into parts meant that it would actually make more money for the author than if they tried to get into the book market. By now, Wilkie was really hitting his straps creatively, but also having the lowest point of his life personally. The gout I mentioned before became worse, Gout is a form of arthritis caused by a range of influences, largely diet and alcohol related. It's an inflammation of the joints that can become incredibly painful. And if you have listened to these episodes in sequence, well, firstly, thank you so much for listening, but also the painkiller that Wilkie used was the opium-based laudanum, which I spoke about a couple of episodes ago. And unfortunately, the volumes of it that he was continually taking brought about his addiction to the drug. He travelled Germany and Italy with a friend, hoping to improve his health. Even as he continued writing, novels and serialised stories came out in the following years, including a play he co-wrote with Charles Dickens. This play, called No Thoroughfare, ran for 200 nights and was then taken on tour. It really is incredible as to how successful Wilkie was at this point. Struggling with his health and the laudanum addiction, he wrote an incredibly successful play and in 1868 followed this up with a novel called Moonstone. The moonstone in question is actually a large diamond coming from India and a rich heiress wearing it at her party had it stolen. The mystery of the story is who did it and why? Now today, you dear listener, well, you would tell me that's a common enough story stereotype. Except, back then, it wasn't. The Moonstone had some ideas that I'm sure you're probably familiar with. A celebrated investigator. Think of Hercule Poirot from the Agatha Christie novels. Uh, The novel also had an incompetent local police force, red herring suspects, an inside job, and a reconstruction of the crime and a final twist as i said i'm sure you're familiar with those elements but how about the fact that before wilkie collins's moonstone none of these had all been incorporated into one story the mystery or detective novel that you know of today well that was just invented by mr collins A part of its success was based on its depiction of opium use. I mentioned back in the Opium podcast that while it was used in the United Kingdom, for the most part it was more of a media scare tactic that added drama to news or a story. Wilkie used it in his own story to great popularity, although in his case his readers had no idea that he was writing, drawing from some of his personal experience. This was the peak of his public success in terms of sales. Wilkie continued to write, and other works were made into theatre productions as well, including his 1859 work, The Woman in White. This had been a precursor to his defining the detective novel, and it's called a sensation novel, as it drew on more melodramatic elements and social anxieties about identity. It seems the more you read history... The more things stay the same. But I do want to go back a bit to that companion on the European Health Tour. Because while I have been largely covering his professional life, I do admit to this point having been giving you scant details on Wilkie's personal life. In the mid 1850s, Wilkie made the acquaintance of a local shopkeeper by the name of Carolyn Graves. She was a widow with a daughter, Harriet and by 1858 they were living together and would do so for the rest of Wilkie's life. Wilkie considered Caroline and Harriet as his family, and he paid for all her education as well. Although Caroline wanted to marry Wilkie, he disliked the institution and never took vows with her. And yet again, I get to go all total soap opera on you. Having been with Caroline for a number of years by now, it was in 1868 that Wilkie met Martha Rudd in Norfolk. She was a poor girl from a large family. I'll let that one go. And aged 19, he was 44. A few years later, she moved to London to be closer to him, although Wilkie continued to live with Caroline. Now, the timeline is a little tricky, But while he was riding the Moonstone, Caroline left him. This might have been over the fact that he would not marry her, or it might have been over Martha. I can't tell you. But during this separation, Caroline married another man. Joseph Clough went on to become her new husband, but Wilkie was there during the ceremony, watching on. Yet within two years, she had left him and returned to Wilkie and never left him again. I know it's a long time ago and sources are shy on detail, uh, but this sort of thing, it does fascinate me. I know I've said it before, some relationships defy definition. Who can really judge from the outside after all? Anyway, while all this was happening, Wilkie had a child with Martha, a daughter named Marion in 1869, then Harriet in 1871, and William in 1874. Wilkie used the pseudonym of William Dawson when he was with Martha, and this was the family name that the children carried. For the last 20 years of his life, Wilkie lived his life between the two women and his two families. I know in the past I have spoken about some of the unconventional relationships that prominent 19th century people had. Lord Admiral Horatio Nelson certainly comes to mind. Although married, he conducted a relationship with another married woman named Emma. I spoke about Horatio in my third podcast, and you might recall that Nelson lived with her in a hotel, and her much older husband also had rooms there. Though Horatio did eventually split from his wife after he got his mistress pregnant, and she later had a daughter, Horatio. And yet Emma's husband continued to dote on his much younger wife as well. And she had a daughter, also an Emma, many years before and had kept her secret from Horatio. Yet when he found out, he then provided for her financially. And then we have Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, Mary Shelley and her half-sister Claire. At one stage you had Percy cheating on his wife with her half-sister who then later got pregnant to Lord Byron. And like I said back in episode 8, why is this not a Netflix show? These were men and women living in a time that was famous for being staunchly conservative. Certainly some of the affairs caused scandal and probably contributed to a difficult time in society for at least a while. But the fact is, they happened and... In a society far less tolerant than ours today. And while I am sure Wilkie Collins certainly received some form of social censure for his personal life, he did conduct it while maintaining a literary career for 20 years. Sadly, his health continued to decline. He toured the United States reading and promoting his works. But during this time, he began focusing more on mentoring younger writers rather than writing his own works. He was slowly going blind, and by this time it was his stepdaughter that was writing his words for him. He also used his legal knowledge to help authors with copyright issues that they might have. And on September 23, 1889, William Wilkie Collins passed away after suffering a stroke the creator of Detective Fiction was just 65 years old. While today I would judge that his name is only really known among literary circles or classrooms, Wilkie Collins should be acknowledged and remembered for the very influential works he created during his lifetime. So the next time you're playing a game of Cluedo, seeing if it really was Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the kitchen, or you're watching Daniel Craig solve the murder in Knives Out. Remember where they started. Right here with William Wilkie Collins. And here endeth the episode. You can find me at victoriangaslamp.com. My contact details are on there as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at vicgaslamp and more importantly on Instagram where I post historical facts and trivia as well as photos related to the episodes. I am at Victorian Gaslamp, or one word, there as well. Thanks for listening and keep a lookout for new episodes. And as always, I'll see you next time Under the gas lamp.